Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. Once again, I am your host, Christina McAteer, and have the pleasure of our featured guest, Catherine Vesnet. How are you, Catherine? Another great win, and thanks for having me back, Christine. Well, we always appreciate your wonderful advice. I see the topic today is income protection for doctors, what we need to know about disability insurance. Excellent. I actually think this is one of the biggest risks for doctors. So I'm always thinking, how can we mitigate risk, protect against it? There's, to me, there's three major things that can happen to any doctor, whether they're right out of medical school or a very seasoned practitioner. Well, one is a premature death, of course, which is someone is dependent upon your income. You die soon, they're left without your income. That can be devastating. But we can mitigate that risk with life insurance. Um, the second is losing a job. Um, I'll be frank, there's never been a better profession in the world than to be in medicine in the United States because there's not enough doctors. And a number of years ago, one of uh, clients had a colleague at um, a hospital you're very familiar with, Rhode Island Hospital. He was actually dismissed for failing to follow protocols. Now, you have to understand that in my business, if that were the case, I'd be out of work. You know, I would not, my legal career would dry up, my financial planning business would dry up. But no, this doctor had a better job making more money within six weeks. That's how bad the demand is. So the second risk, which is, you know, losing your job, uh, once again, we can mitigate that risk by having an emergency fund, which we've talked about in the, in the past. And the third risk is actually the one that I consider the most serious, and that is being too sick or injured to work. I have to say that thought crossed my mind front and center. Living here in New England and having to cross a bridge on a very wintry, snowy night, not sure if I would make it home safely, <laughs> made me think about what would happen if I suffered a car crash. Exactly. And we have one of our dear precious clients now who was in a car accident about a year and a half ago, and she has not been back to work full time. And it's devastating what this poor doctor has had to go through. Fortunately, we had really good disability insurance for her, which is what we're our topic for today. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. So the way to mitigate about being too sick or injured to work is obviously disability insurance. Excellent. Well, I think it's something that every physician needs to know a lot about. And then one of the things I'm really hoping you will address is the myth out there that you need to purchase the disability insurance while you're still a resident so that you can optimize cost savings. Well, if you use the word myth, which to me uh, kind of implies a false statement. Um, I actually don't think that's a false statement. I do think the very best time to get these policies is when you're a resident. And there's a number of reasons for this. First of all, some of the companies that provide disability insurance have reduced underwriting requirements. So sometimes if you've got some health issues, it can be easier to get it as a resident than if you're a little bit older and you're out as an attending. Also, we have a number of places where we have so many doctors, we can actually get them. Um, it's kind of the equivalent of a group discount. They call it a multi-life discount on their insurance. This discount is worth its weight in gold because if you get a discounted policy today and you have to add more coverage as you get older, which almost all of our doctors do, the new coverage they buy in the future is also at the discount. So it can save 
thousands and thousands of dollars over a career to be able to do that. And finally, let's face it, residents, I know you're stressed, but this is the youngest and probably the healthiest you are ever going to be. And if younger and healthier is the time to get these policies because they're going to be they're going to be cheaper. So it's definitely something to look at if you're a resident. Excellent. Well, thank you for correcting me and my use of the term myth. And thank you for also setting the facts straight. So now you have it. You need to buy the disability insurance while you're still a resident. And if that's not possible, buy it when you're young and healthy. Exactly. And let's talk a little bit about what to do if you need this coverage and you're that broke resident, which we see over and over again. If you're working with a really solid um, financial advisor or an insurance agent that's familiar with insuring physicians, they can work with you to make it be affordable. So some of the things that we, we do is we get down to the very minimal coverage that they have to have in order to be able to buy future coverage or to keep the discount. That's one way we can save some money. And then there's frequently some what's called riders or amendments or bells and whistles to the policy. And we can sometimes strip these bells and whistles off. And that's it's not optimal, but it does help them get lower the cost of the policy so it becomes more affordable. Well, I think in this day and age when every dollar counts, anything that we could do to help get a more affordable product is well worth the time invested. Exactly. So I would definitely have doctors at least get some quotes. The way we do it in our practice is I don't have um, you send in any money because I just want the doctors to get some bits or some quotes. And they can go through underwriting. It doesn't cost the doctor anything. And then if the bid or quote comes back and it seems reasonable, great. And if not, okay, they, they can decline it. They're not required to go forward. Excellent. And does the purchasing of disability insurance include a physical exam or not necessarily? Not necessarily. Now, once again, the rules have changed over the past couple of years, and it depends upon the company that you use. If you're an attending physician, it, uh, it's highly unlikely there won't be a physical. So it, uh, a nurse uh, you, will come to your home or the hospital, your office, and do a, what I call a mini physical. You, know, you pee in a cup, they draw blood, they ask the same darn questions that you're, they're going to ask you when you do your telephone interview, and uh, they weigh, they measure you, etc. And then that information goes back to the insurance company, along with your answers on, a, on the telephone interview, and along with they reach out to your attending physician and get copies of your latest medical records, any uh, blood work or uh, your analysis or anything you've had done recently. And then the underwriting department looks at all of that and comes back with an offer. And that's called the underwriting process. Okay. So that's kind of step one in obtaining disability insurance? Yes, it would be step one. Now, some of the companies have changed for residents and fellows recently. And uh, because the benefit that they qualify is smaller, um, they don't require that physical. They, do, they will require the phone interview, and they're still going to reach out to your physician uh, to take a look at your medical records and so forth. Excellent. All right. So maybe even if you know that um, you had some health issues, perhaps thinking about women's issues, in and around the time of pregnancy, if you had any issues with um, hypertension during your pregnancy or gestational diabetes, perhaps you think about planning for that timing of that physical exam to best optimize your health status. 
You are brilliant. In fact, you've really described very much of what we do. I, I consider myself our client's advocates, and I will really coach them a lot on either how to clean up their medical records so they appear in the best possible light or when to take the physicals and how to handle that situation. So a couple of examples here. I swear to you, every one of our psychiatrists at one time or another has been to another psychiatrist. Well, one of the red flags for disability insurance is having a mental or nervous disorder. And the reason is, obviously, they cannot x-ray your head, Christy, to see are you really too depressed, anxious, schizophrenic, whatever to work? You know, how they really, they have no real way of knowing that. So if you've been, if you've seen a psychiatrist or a therapist or you've gone through therapy, it's a big red flag um, on the, on the application. Now, sometimes we can get those people underwritten and they can get a great premium quote back from the company all as well. Sometimes in extreme cases, they can actually be declined. So if we're talking to psychiatry residents out there, um, if you think you want to see a psychiatrist because you're kind of upset, nervous, and having a tough time in residency, trust me, your colleagues are all doing that too. Um, I would recommend applying for the insurance before you go in to see the therapist. And the reason is you have to disclose that you've been to the therapist. If you fail to disclose it, the company could claim fraud, and that would be a pretty ugly situation. Yes, I have to say. I think that that is great advice and it always kind of surprises me because I know colleagues in the past have sought counseling if they were depressed for times in their lives, whether it was a divorce or some other family situation. And that utilization of the mental health services was then held against them for the purposes of obtaining disability insurance. And it is a little counterintuitive. You would say, hey, I'm trying to take care of myself by seeing a counselor if I know that I've got an issue so that I can get healthy and be fully prepared to be back at work. Um, But yet it does seem, as you point out, that these can sometimes be used against you. Yeah, it's a tough situation because, by the way, if you're in a bad spot, I'm not go to your doctor, right? We'll figure the other stuff out later. I don't want anything bad happening to you. But if it's just something you're kind of vaguely concerned about, um, let's try to get the insurance in place first. Let me give you a couple of other examples and you'll see why. I swear almost all of my neurologists at some time or another are afraid they've got MS. No joke. It's just kind of like, that's the thing they're studying. They have a little twinge here, a little twinge there. They're going, oh my gosh, it's MS. So they all go in for an assessment for MS. You know, 99.9% of the time they don't have MS, but it does show up on their records that they were concerned about whatever it was that they were concerned about. Now, the good news is they don't have a diagnosis of MS. The bad news is that they had something that prompted them to go see a neurologist. So once again, could be a red flag. And I've seen this in almost every specialty. I've got a a sleep doctor. He was fine if he had just gotten the insurance when I had wanted him to get the insurance when he was still a resident. It would have been no problem. But he goes to sleep fellowship. And of course, every sleep doctor thinks they need a sleep study. Turns out he had sleep apnea and he got declined for insurance because he had sleep apnea. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like an interesting circular series of events. It is. It is. So whatever, I guess the moral of that story is whenever possible, try to get this insurance in place before you do something major. And I'll tell this to female doctors too: get the insurance before you get pregnant, because 
once you're pregnant, some companies won't insure you, or they're going to take your higher weight as your normal weight, or they're going to take your hormones that are kind of whacked into consideration. And it can, you can either get a decline, which would be disastrous, or um, an offer at a higher premium than you would normally. Excellent. Well, again, like you said, if you can get the policy and then the premiums are the lowest, that will actually have lifelong benefit for if and when you need to purchase additional insurance. Exactly. The other thing I want to say is female docs, I hope you're listening up here. Most insurance companies have special rates for female doctors over male doctors in the same specialty. So in the same age, the same specialty, female doctors, they will charge more. And the reason is females are far more likely to be disabled than men. And so they can charge them more for the disability insurance. What's interesting is the reverse is true for life insurance. Men are more likely to die sooner. So that if you have the exact same age, et cetera, the men will be charged more for life insurance. Well, I'm glad to hear there's a little bit of fairness in the world. <laughs> I don't know if there really is, but in this case, it evens out a bit. With the female doctors, it's very important that we try to get this earlier at a place where we can get that group discount. So I have seen the discount for females where we have a lot of other doctors in the same um, hospital system save 40% or more on their coverage because the certain companies, not all, but certain companies say when you have three or more doctors at the same institution, um, you know, the Cleveland Health Center or uh, Abbott hospital in Minneapolis, whatever it is, um, then they will give the females what they call unisex rates. And that can save them like roughly 40% or more. It kind of depends upon the, the company. Now that savings, Christy, is huge over a lifetime because it, when you get these policies, I like to get the ones that have a level premium and a level death benefit. So if you've got a, a benefit of $5,000 per month, this benefit would stay the same your entire career. So until 65 or 67, let's say that benefit would stay 5,000 and the premium would stay the same your entire life. Um, if you needed more coverage in the future, as I mentioned before, the nifty thing is you could apply that 40% discount to the new coverage in the future. So when I run the numbers over this, it can save tens of thousands of dollars or more for the female doctor who makes sure that she takes care of this early in her career. That's so interesting. And is that really true for all insurance carriers that they will honor that discount or that initial low premium? No, we have to be, once again, that to me is the job of your financial advisor is to search out the carriers and to see who's got the best options for clients. In the good news, bad news department, there's, I don't remember if it's like 12 or 16 companies are all in the United States that even have disability insurance for any profession. And out of those, there's only four or five that are decent for doctors. And so we tend to use those over and over. Our, most of our clients don't care, but I always check them out because I feel like, once again, that's part of our job as a fiduciary is to look at each of those different companies for a particular doctor to make sure that, that we've got the best choice. Excellent. Well, once again, Catherine, we're glad that you're there because I will be honest with you, I'm not sure I can even picture any physician who's going to have the time or the skill set to search out different insurance carriers to see who offers the best package. Not only that, it's a very interesting part of our industry because so many doctors believe, well, I've got an own occupation definition, I'm okay. Well, that's really only about 10% of the problems with disability insurance. So you're right. I don't know a doctor that could really analyze these to see what's better. 
you know how I am about ethics and how I hate companies that rip doctors off. I'm kind of on my little soapbox now. Um, there is a very large insurance company in the United States. I'm not going to name them by name. I'm going to call them really big insurance company. And they created a special disability policy for doctors. And it's they marketed it as a doctor's only policy. And of course, physicians think, oh, this policy is so great. It's just for doctors, right? It's just for me. Perfect. Wonderful. Let's. Where do I sign up? Well, every time I see one of these policies, um, I want to groan because it is such a marketing scam. They took a substandard policy, and you'll see in a minute as I go into more details why it was substandard. It doesn't have the bells and whistles you've got other places. It has higher premiums than the exact same policy would be with another comparable company. And because they label the doctors, doctors just sign up for this thing. And it's extremely upsetting to me. So I'm hoping one of the takeaways we have today is that our physicians, if you've not had your policies reviewed in the last year or two, you probably need an independent person to look at them to make sure that they do what you want them to do and that you can't get better coverage out there at a lower cost. I think that's great advice. And the way you describe it makes us feel as physicians, we're sitting ducks ready to be the next target. However, it does sound like doing a little bit of research, and particularly if you have a savvy financial person working with you to help you do the research so you have the knowledge to pick the best policy, it is well worth that time invested. Oh, totally, because it can have a huge impact on the rest of your life. Let me I'm sorry, I have to tell you a couple more stories. We have a lot of doctors at Kaiser because we do, as you know, a lot of work in California, other places where Kaiser is. And this orthopedic surgeon come to me and he goes, well, I can do this policy at work. I can buy it. I'm going to call this the XYZ company. He says, or they let me buy my own coverage. I went, oh my gosh. Well, it turned out I knew a lot about XYZ company. Why? Because one of our darling clients has lupus and she had two insurance policies. Uh, one by a fairly decent company and the other by XYZ. And once she was diagnosed with lupus, horrible illness apparently, she's on part-time disability. She'd love to be home full-time, but she's got three teenagers and a husband and that doesn't make much money and she has to work. I mean, it's just an absolute tragedy. The problem with XYZ is it's not a reputable company. And every time she turns around, at least once a year, they're making her go through um, a whole meeting with a physician who says, no, you're really ready to go back to work full time. You should not be ready to work. You be working half time. You should be full time. We're going to decline the benefit and we're not going to pay you anything. And they've been so obnoxious and so horrible. They had to hire attorneys to sue XYZ to get her covered. Compare that to the other company that she had, this second policy. They go, yep, you're, you're disabled. You're part partially disabled. We're going to pay you. They don't give her any problems. They just write the checks to her every every month. Night and day for this poor woman and her, and her family. So when my orthopedic surgeon says to me, I can buy policy from XYZ, I go, no, no, whatever you do, we don't want that company. It's not just the level of coverage. It's not just the cost. It's also about the quality of the company and how willing are they to actually pay out uh, on claims. That's so interesting. And I'm sure if you don't feel well, you are truly injured or sick, the last thing you want to do is go through the hassle of appeals process or worse yet, as you suggest, finding a lawyer and, and taking on a lawsuit. Exactly. I mean, this poor woman, could she couldn't even raise her kids. It was all she could do to work part-time. She'd go home, lay in bed. 
Her husband had to do everything else, the cooking, the manage the kids, the laundry, everything else. I mean, it was real. it's really sad. And of course, at her stage, she's uncoverable. As you know, Catherine, I love your stories and they illustrate the points perfectly. And, and hopefully these examples can be helpful to our listeners for real life application. Exactly. That's why I tell the stories, frankly, because they've all got a point. So remember I was talking to you about really big insurance company that had the substandard policy. Fortunately, this did not happen to me, but it happened to a colleague of mine who works with physicians. He picked up a client and she had this insurance policy. Unfortunately, he didn't get to her until much later in his whole process. She's a urologist down south someplace and she developed cancer and had to have her arm amputated. Well, I mean, what a tragedy. You cannot do urology with one arm, right? Or just the way you couldn't do surgery. You could do psychiatry maybe, or you might be a family med doc with one arm, but you cannot do urology with just one arm. So this poor woman filed a claim with a really big insurance company. And she, I think she got a job teaching a medicine at the, at the medical school. And between those two things, she wasn't waking, making as much money as she was before, but she was kind of able to cobble things together for her kids. Two years later, really big insurance company discovers that she had this extra job and their policy disallowed that. It said that if she was too sick or injured to work and she had no other employment, only then would they pay. Well, they'd been paying for two years when she had other employment in violation of the policy. She was completely uh, innocent in this. She had no way of knowing because her agent told her that it was okay for her to work and that she would get coverage. So what happens at the end of two years, really big discovers that she's been working and they sue her for the money back under the policy that they had paid her. I mean, it's just unbelievable crisis. So once again, it really pays to do your homework. Make sure you've got a good quality company and you know exactly what you're, what's being covered. And it sounds like the agent has some responsibility there to properly inform her of the policy and its limitations. No? Absolutely. I mean, to me, you know, the attorney, me, I'm going, this is a lawsuit, honey. You need to hire a really good attorney, sue the agent, sue the company. And I, I think there's not a jury out there that wouldn't side for her because that agent was telling her something that was clearly not true. And is that pretty typical for an insurance policy to state that if you cannot work in any other form of employment, or is it really that you're usually insured for your current level of professional employment? Ah, you're, I love the lead in to my next piece. Can you t- give me a minute to do that? Because I want to talk about the levels of income protection policies, and I will answer that question in the process. Absolutely. Give it to us, Catherine. Okay, so the first level is these policies only pay a claim if you are absolutely too sick to do any work at all. Even if you were at Walmart, I understand they just canceled this recently, but up up till recently, Walmart had greeters. And if you were too sick or injured to do anything, even that, which Walmart was known for hiring disabled people to be able to do this, you were not going to get a claim. So uh, this definition is totally useless for doctors since most physicians would have to be practically comatose in order to re, uh, to receive a benefit. I have to admit, I rarely see this, but another way of thinking of this, this could be like a social security definition. So that's level one, but your, most physicians won't see this, even from their work policies. Okay, the second level. Now, these policies are own occupation, which is where things can get confusing for doctors, but they're only own occupation for so long as you're not earning income or getting benefits elsewhere. So in level two, one of two things can happen. Some of the policies deduct the other income from your benefit, 
And most of these, I would say, in my experience, will deny coverage. So here's what I say to, to doctors. You're too sick or injured to be a neurologist, but you're teaching Sunday school. They give you a dollar a month, kind of a little honoraria for teaching Sunday school every month. Well, hello, that's considered income, and that would disallow you coverage under this kind of policy. Okay. So I guess it's time to reevaluate your priorities at that point. Well, exactly, because a lot of people don't think about it. I'm just using Sunday school as an example, but it could be anything. You know, you could be um, doing forensics and testifying in court or whatever, and maybe you only make four or 5000 a year doing this. Uh, but under these policies, which, by the way, is the vast majority of most of the policies, have the definition, you won't qualify for any coverage at all. That's the worst case scenario. The best case is they would take your 5000 that you made in consulting and subtract it from your benefit. And when you say levels, is that kind of the level of protection that you purchase? So it does have some implication for the cost of the policy? Definitely. It's level of, I would say it's level of qualities. Level of quality. Okay gets to uh, what's what's covered and what are the terms. So basically in, this, in level two, you're too sick or injured, usually t- to do your own occupation. So in your case, you'd be too sick or injured to do emergency med. A lot of doctors, this is all they look at. Well, this is just a fraction of the problems with these disability pro- policies. So in, Chrissy, in your case, you're too sick or injured to do emergency med, but what if, could you do urgent care? Could you be internal med? So if you've got an own occupation policy, they're not going to look at that. They're just going to look, first of all, are you too sick or injured to do emergency med? If we say yes, then they say, well, are you making money doing urgent care? Well, if the answer to that is yes, for some policies, you wouldn't get any benefit at all. And for others, they would deduct your income that you made from urgent care from your benefit. And what if you were doing the urgent care work even before the injury or disability took place? would that same status apply or would that then be exempt because it it pre-existed the injury? Well, it depends. Uh, They look at what work were you doing right before you were disabled. So once again, we'd have to look at the terms of the policy. But in general, if you were doing mostly emergency med and very little urgent care, it would probably, you'd probably still qualify for a claim. But if you were doing very little emergency med and mostly urgent care, you wouldn't qualify for a claim. Because that's one of the things I love about emergency medicine docs is they're very dynamic and you hear all sorts of crazy job combinations. So they're an emergency room doctor and a ski patroller, or they're an emergency room doctor and a police officer, or on and on and on are the combinations. So I suppose you have to just clearly outline that when you apply for the policy. No, actually it's, well, yes and no. I should say that part of the pricing of these policies depends upon your specialty. Orthopedic surgeons are far more likely to be disabled than psychiatrists. Obviously, if you're standing all day and you're lifting heavy legs and doing surgery and you can, you know, cut yourself with scalpels or whatever, uh, you're more likely to be disabled. They take that into consideration in the pricing up front. But when it comes to actually paying out the benefit, it, it depends upon what you were doing right before you were disabled. So let's take a situation. This is hypothetical. We've got um, anesthesiologists. They work for years as anesthesia. They get kind of burned out. They decide they want to 
open a restaurant, bookstore, be a lawyer, whatever. And that's what their career is. They're a lawyer. And then they get too sick or injured to practice law. The policy will look at not whether they're too sick or injured to be an anesthesiologist, because they weren't doing that right before they were disabled. They look at whether they are too sick or injured to practice law, because that's what they were doing right before they were disabled. So it sounds like you would need to have your policy updated for what type of employment you're doing. Should there be a career shift? Actually, you I wouldn't say updated, but what I think is very important is you need to have somebody that knows what they're doing reviewing the language of the policy so you know for sure what your definitions are. So you don't have any surprises later when it's too late. So I'd rather have that surprise today when you're young and healthy than when you get a diagnosis for cancer or lupus. And because at that stage, you're unassurable and we can't change policies. But if we know about it today, when you're young and healthy, and if you've got a lousy definition or a lousy company, hey, we can switch it today. Excellent. So timing is everything. <laughs> and that applies to many, many aspects of life. Isn't it? We could do a whole investment topic on just timing. But yes, totally. So anyway, that's level two. These are better than level one policies. But once again, you have to be careful because um, it's important to know that it's very rare that we can get more coverage of somewhere between 67 and maybe 75% of your gross income. So these policies are not designed to pay you more than what you were making before, usually. Uh, because they don't want malingerers. Could you get your policy to cover at least as much so you don't have to suffer a very significant change in your quality of life? Or is that not even possible? No, that's that's the goal. So when we apply for coverage, uh, particularly for attending physicians, we have to t- uh, disclose what other policies they have, either their policies at work or uh, other private policies that they have themselves. So there's a difference between ones you can get at work and the private policies. And we, we disclose all those to them. The company does their magic calculations and says, maybe you don't qualify for any more coverage. You're at the max for us. Or they may say, uh, you've got a shortfall of X, and they would insure you for X in that situation. Interesting. And I'm also curious, what are the tax implications if the income is from a disability policy? Is that still taxed as regular income? No. I, this one thing I love about you, you asked the best question. That's <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Um, it depends on who's paying the premiums. So for most doctors who have policies at work and the employer is paying the premiums, this is not always the case, but if the employer is paying the premiums, then when they're out on claim, that benefit is going to be fully taxable as income, which is a shock to most people because they never considered, oh, they'll think, oh, I've got this $3,000 policy at work. Well, I go, big deal. It's not really $3,000 because you've got to pay tax on it. And by the way, you're making $300,000 a year. So it's not going to go that far. And so that's a disability insurance policy that I would assume is typically obtained from your work and therefore paid by your employer? I would say it's the policy that comes with the benefit package. And you typically have no choice over these. They give them to you. You you can't really say, no, I don't want that. I want something better. You're required to take it. But you don't have to pay for it, as my mama would say, for free take. And some of the, a lot of these policies, frankly, are really terrible. But they're better than nothing. Now, you can have some employers 
that give you the option and say, so Christy, we can either pay for this ourselves or you can pay for it yourself. And in, in that case, the advantage when the doctor pays for it themselves is when you're out on claim, the benefit is not taxable. So when we do our calculations on how much clients need, we take into consideration the after-tax benefit or the after-tax goal that we're trying to go for. Well, I think that's something to really take note of. Um, my husband, who, as you know, works in the public sector, there is a remarkable um, policy of benefits eligible to public service employees People know that there's a significant tax benefit to be out on a disability policy, and it oftentimes will greatly enhance their income level, and and you can see the incentive that follows. Well, once again, certain companies are more concerned about that, or maybe I should say go after that behavior more zealously than others. So depending on the insurance company, they might do what they did for my doctor with lupus and make her show up for some physicals and talk to some doctors and see how disabled is she really, or is she ready to go back to work? Well, I thankfully can say we have no personal experience with that, so I'm not really sure I can even speak to it. Um, But I suppose we've all heard the stories and and probably even seen some in the news of of employees who are trying to take advantage of the system. So I guess that's just the reality of, of probably any profession that's out there. Exactly. What I'd like to do is next to go to the third level. I consider this the gold standard, and we call this double dip own occupation, and here's how it works. So you're too sick or injured to work in your specialty, but you could do other work. Maybe you're a pharmaceutical rep or you're teaching medical school. doesn't matter what the other work is. In that situation, you can receive your full benefit, and you can keep the income from your new job. That sounds like a great package. I'll take that. Exactly. That's why I said. This is the one that doctors want if we can get it for them. So another example, another true story. I have this. Um, he, formerly, he was an emergency med doc because when he showed up at my office and I'm kind of doing the intake, there's 13000 a month. He's got an income that he's not paying taxes on. And I'm going, 13000 a month? <laughs> he's like, don't tell my accountant. I'm like, okay, okay. No, no worries. I'm not going to tell your accountant. Well, it turns out that he was out on disability from his emergency med job, and this was his benefit. He was getting $13,000 a month from his insurer tax-free. And to his point, he was not required to report it to the government. So the government, I don't, I don't think they even knew. He was At that point, he was actually working in urgent care. He was making about 9000 a month doing urgent care. And the insurance company felt that urgent care was different enough from emergency med that they allowed him to keep his benefit and, they, and to keep his income from urgent care. So when you added those two together, I think he was making more money than he was making before he was disabled. That sounds like... Unfortunately, if he had suffered a true disability, a very sad thing, but it does sound like there was some definite financial upside to his plight. There was some financial upside to that particular plight. Now, this double dip ONOC, once again, we try to get it whenever we can for docs, can be tricky. Um, So I do, as you probably know this, I do work with a lot of orthopedic surgeons, and I had more than one concerned well, what if they can no longer do knees, hips, you know, whatever, spines, whatever, because as you know, that's 
as I mentioned before, they're standing for long periods of time and they're also lifting very heavy objects, other people. Um, so I reached out to the insurance company that we use for this one orthopedic surgeon who does legs. And what he wanted to know was if he could not do legs because he couldn't stand that long, he couldn't lift things that heavy, but he could do hands, would they cover him as in a benefit? So once again, I don't know that much about orthopedic surgery, but I do know that hands for hand surgery, the surgeon can sit and obviously hands are much lighter than legs. And so they're more likely that they could do hand surgery, uh, but not leg surgery that they were doing before. I got this insurance company to write him a letter that says, if you're too sick or injury to do legs, but you can do hands, we will cover you and we will pay you a benefit. Now that letter is worth its weight in gold because he may be 50 or 55 or whatever it is and something happens to him and he switches to hands, he will still be able to make money as a hand surgeon and be able to keep his benefit. Well, it sounds like he did a good job of finding out the necessary details of the policy and chose a good company that's going to honor the restrictions of the employment. <laughs> well, I'd like to think he came to that because we helped him <laughs> do that. Um, but yes, he made some really good choices there. Uh, and these choices do last a very, very long time because as long as you're paying the premiums, with the good policies, I'm going to underline with the good policies, as long as you're paying the premiums, the insurance company cannot cancel them. And usually they cannot raise the rates. Now, with that said, we only recommend companies that can't cancel them and they can't raise the rates. Now, why is this important? I've had, I don't know how many doctors come to me with their association policies. I'm not going to name any names here, but some of the big associations. And they're like, oh, this is my association for my specialty. They've got my best interests at heart. Catherine, look how cheap this DI policy is. And I'm thinking, I know how many doctors are disabled. It's way too cheap. Sure, I pick under, peek under the hood. And guess what? They can cancel that policy at any time and they can raise the rates at any time. So the last thing you want to do is be my poor lupus doctor at 45 or 50 and have your association come in and go, oh, we're not going to offer you this policy anymore because you can't go anyplace and get it covered someplace else. You're uninsurable. Or if they raise the rates, if they triple or quadruple the rates, you have to pay them because you couldn't get coverage elsewhere. So once again, I have never, ever seen a decent association policy. There may be some out there. I don't mind telling people if, that's, if they've got a good one, but be very careful if that's what you've got. That's so interesting to think about um, because I reflect on the amount of mail that comes across my desk each day, and it seems there are endless offers for life insurance policies. So while I appreciate that disability insurance and life insurance are quite different, it seems like these so-called cheap policies that include almost everyone really deserves some hard investigation before you go ahead and sign on the dotted line. Absolutely. You really need to look these over very carefully because things happen. You know, I've had a number of clients that were in car accidents. Well, once you've gotten into a car accident or some other kind of accident, you may be uninsurable. So you're pretty well stuck with what you've got. So you've got to make sure that it's really good to begin with. And I just had a horrible thought. God forgive me, because it's clear that I'm an emergency room doctor where we deal with a lot of horrible traumas that include a lot of brain injuries. And I just can't imagine trying to do the hard intellectual work of sorting through these details 
when you're trying to recover from a brain injury. So I guess my thought there would be, please get this done early in life when you're healthy. Right. And get it done with an agent that you trust that's going to stay with you and help you sort through this. I think that's another important piece of this. Perfect. I like that very much. Now, I should mention something about pre-existing conditions. As I mentioned before, um, obviously mental, nervous are very common. No insurance company is going to really insure a pre-existing condition. So at one time, I think more than half of our clients had, were either on antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, or they had been on it at some point in time. So the, it's arranged then on whether or not we got some deficient coverage for them. Sometimes we'd have to go to some other carrier. Um, sometimes they would get an absolute decline and sometimes they would, we could get coverage at regular rates. So it just depends upon what their history is. Uh, I'll be frank, the only couple cases I've had declined for mental health, they don't share with me the health stuff, but I think one of them may have actually had a suicide attempt. And of course, that is really going to scare um, an insurance company. Another good thing to note for sure, especially in the era of physician burnout. So statistically, younger doctors are far more likely to be disabled, maybe four to five times more likely to be disabled than to die. Which I suppose is probably a good thing. Yeah, I, honestly, I think being disabled financially is a bigger drain because a lot of people haven't considered if you're disabled, you may need care at home, you may need extra um, funds for extra medical costs that aren't covered by your insurance. It can be actually more financially draining than a, than a death can be. Well, I hate to think about the value of your life and death in terms of finances, but I suspect you're right. The finances do tell the true story and no one wants to feel like they're a drain or a burden on their families. Well, exactly. Because a lot of our, particularly our younger doctors, nothing bad has ever happened to them. You know, they've never been in a car accident or their spouse has never lost their job and they, they just haven't thought, oh, if I'm disabled, hello, I've still got a mortgage I've got to pay. I have some of my student debts. I still have to pay on my loans. I've still got to put my kids through school. You know, they haven't thought about all these things and how onerous uh, the, their financial lives can be if they're not making an income. Perfect. Well, Catherine, I think that's a wonderful amount of information. Are there any parting thoughts that you want us to take as we, we leave the podcast for today? Right. Let's just sum up a couple of things. A, I think if you've got disability insurance, good on you, but make sure that you have somebody trustworthy, review the definitions, what's covered, what's not. While they're doing that, they might as well check and see if they can find you better, cheaper coverage. If you don't have coverage, uh, the younger, healthier you are, the better it is for you to go do that. Do that, whatever possible, try to get that kind of group rates. One of the sad things about disability policies is I don't have a way for clients to get their money back. And I think that's something to consider is I hope that you never, ever, ever need this policy. But if you, if you do, we're really glad that you have it. If you don't need it, you will have been paying those premiums all those years. And you're like, oh, could I, if I could only have gotten my money back. But I think of this as the same thing as like insuring your house. We hope your house doesn't burn down. There's no flood. There's no theft. But you're insuring it um, even though there's very little chance that you're ever going to actually file a claim for it. So I do sometimes have older doctors who've accumulated a great deal of wealth. They may be in their mid to late 50s, early 60s. And I don't recommend 
disability insurance policies for them, Christy. And the reason is if they became too sick or injured to work, they have enough of their own private resources that they could cover their living expenses. And they, uh, I just think the policies would be way too expensive then. So it would not be a good choice for them at that stage. That's our goal is to get every client to enough wealth. They don't need these policies. Excellent. And it sounds like, again, having a financial advisor who can guide you through the transitions of life and and know when you reach that point would be a very helpful thing. Yes, absolutely. All right. So what we've learned today hopefully will help our listeners. Unfortunately, having disability insurance is a reality in life. And while I hear you, Catherine, that it is hard to pay for it if you don't need that resource. That's the reality of the insurance game, because if you do need it, then my gosh, you really need it. And there's really no other choice. So think about what you've learned today. If there's any questions, please forward it to us through the show notes or reach out to us directly. And Catherine, thank you for your time. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. And we look forward to meeting with you next month. Get a good job with more pay than you're okay.